Welcome to As the Wheel of Time Turns, where we unravel the weavings of Amazon's Wheel of Time. Today we are going into the fifth episode of the second season called uh, Damane, and I'm joined with most of my co-hosts. We have one notably absent, but Lee, how are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Ready to re- review episode five. All right, Bray. I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about this episode. Uh, and unfortunately this time uh, we won't have Sarah, so... Uh, deep insights to outfits, stitching, and uh, things like that, which uh, I will sorely miss because we had a, one hell of an outfit, especially at the end of this episode. Uh, but she should be back for our next episode and the rest of our coverage. Yep. Yep. We're completely just SOL on that one. Yep. Yep. She uh, she had a big travel day. She's flying across the country. She's pretty wiped out. Um, so we are going to do uh, three man weave here with the pod. Haha. <laughs> three man weave. Hey, and, uh, who you call it a man? Three man weave. That's a that's a that's a type of uh, basketball play. I think this might be a three person weave. Yes, oh, I don't think I don't think I don't <laughs> think the 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 basketball uh, play is gendered. Uh, we're okay. gonna we're okay. gonna do this here. All right, so uh, you ready for me to start the recap here? Yeah, let's we do are. it. I'm excited. All right, so previously on we see white cloaks. I think that's like the most important thing. Is like the they <laughs> they are. Definitely in the previously on giving you a nod as to what to know. And like in a lot of shows, I'd get frustrated by that. Like I'd be like, damn, you kind of spoiled it, right? Like you show me the white cloaks and then I I know I'm going to get white cloaks in this episode. But in a big sprawling fantasy series like that, I think it's kind of necessary, right? Because like people, I mean, like we, we're, we're diving deep into it, but like not everybody does. So like helping people remember who these, who these folks are before they come on screen is probably important. Especially since it's been like a year and a half. Since season one. Yeah. yeah, since season one, and we haven't had any white cloaks since then. And, and also, I think it's, it's helpful. I think there's also the, you know, sometimes you get frustrated because you know kind of where characters or groups of people are going to show up, but you have no idea in this where we're going to meet the white clo- cloaks. Like, it's completely like, oh, the white cloaks. Oh, yeah, I remember them. No idea what they're going to be doing. Nobody... No idea who they're going to be maybe torturing. Um, I, uh, yeah. I, my thing like is that I cl- very clearly on this podcast like like some of the characters I'm probably not supposed to like. Like I'm fascinated by Lanfear and Ashamayal and like uh, even the Sanjin. I like I like watching them. The White Cloaks I fucking hate. Like they are like <laughs> they're the lowest for me. Like fuck those guys. Like as soon as I started seeing them like burning Aes Sedai alive, cutting hands off, and like. You know, just being generally weird. I, uh, to me, right now in my like villain power rankings in the show, they are the the worst. Well, I think it's you know they haven't had any sort of redeeming qualities, right? They're just straight up. Well, I guess Bornhold wasn't too bad when we met him, but in general, like they just haven't been good people. Yeah. Like there's nothing about them. Whereas at least you know some of the Forsaken are interesting. So we start with the Shanchen. I'm going to be a little bit better about pronouncing things because I have started reading book two. So I uh, just want to <laughs> just warn people that I will not be quite as clueless about pronouncing things anymore. So uh, we start with the Shanchen sailing into a city. Uh, Lady Suroth shows up with Shamael in tow. Oh, I, I do want to convey one thing from our missing co-host, Sarah. She has committed to cosplaying Lady Suroth at Dragon Con next year. So uh, that's going to be fantastic. I'm really excited with the, the sort of like netted like mask. mask and then the long nails. Uh, I think it's such a, like, 
it, it, it'll be the type of cosplay that like so many people will stop and go, hey, I know exactly what that is. Like it's a deep cut from the right. show, but I know exactly what it is. Um, Lady Earth comes up to Lord Turok. Um, uh, I guess this is her boss. I'm, I'm trying to get the Shanshan org chart, but it seems like Lady Suroth reports into Lord Turok and then maybe there is an empress above him. Yeah, and I think something important is Turok is High Lord Turok. So there's Ooh. like a hierarchy of Lord Lady probably, which is where Suroth is. And then I think she's also a High, high Lady. Lord. Well, but she's never, I don't think that that necessarily is true in this show. Okay. Because she's only referred to as Lady Suroth. Yeah, Sarah. but she clearly is under. Oh, yeah, she's, she's not. Yeah. It, you know, she's not at his yeah. level, right? But then there's an empress that gets referenced multiple times that we do we yes. have not seen. Correct? We have. Correct. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't know. I think this is mostly a like they're so they are across the sea. So I don't know when and if we'll see you know all of that power structure. Um, and I mean, I think this is a somewhat interesting like slight mix up from the books uh and you've you've seen uh Turok in the in the books as you've been reading uh book two but uh some of the power structure also seems to be based on like military campaign versus civilian life and so I think Turok is supposed to be like the leading general in this military campaign so like however Surat might or might not wield power otherwise in in the empire uh, it's sort of a different story now that this is like a military for it. Yeah. And I think we kind of got that in the writing. Um, I mean, it's a great, it, it's a good point. Right. But I, th- I do think it, it's affirmed in the writing with how he's like chastising her, particularly about taking a city that she shouldn't have taken that he feels like they can't right. hold. Like it's a very, like it's a very yeah. tactical thing he's upset with her about. Um, right. And he fucking cuts her fingernails off, which is the, like the most, uh, I would say dramatic, dramatic fingernail thing. cutting I've ever seen other than maybe like every once in a while with my dog who who really hates his fingernails to get cut. He gets pretty dramatic about the, the fingernail cutting, <laughs> but it's a, it's a dramatic fingernail cutting scene. And um, the cool part about a show like this is that they can take a character like Lady Seroth who clearly sucks. We all know she sucks, right? But then when this, something like this happens, I'm like, oh man, they had to do her like that. That was mean. <laughs> <laughs> and they just cut her nails. Like it, it, it's such an interesting, like, way of damaging her that is tells you a lot more about their society yeah yeah so i actually think it's interesting to contrast the last time that we saw somebody kneel before um asanchan noble which was lady soroth and then with uno and uno got fucking smashed yeah and he did. He got. She just gets her fingernails cut. Yeah, wheel of time curb stop. Very traumatized by this. Yeah, it, it seemed really. Uh, I don't know. I, I strangely cared about it. The way that they shot it and the way her she reacted. You know, she always she's being presented as very regal, and then this happens, and she's like kind of cowering. Um, so it's clearly a big deal. And then Pod and Fane walks out. Love the swagger on Pod and Fane all the time. Always a swagger. Uh, and, and the whistle. And the whistle. I was going to say, because we get, is that Padon's Fane's music For sure. before we see him with his whistle? Yeah, he, yeah, we do get a little bit of a, a, a audio cue that he's coming. So he rolls up and they give Turok the Horn of Valir, which was stolen at the in the finale of season one. And yep. Shamael basically is the one giving this over. And then he fiddles with the top and the sides and pops it open and says, with this, the whole world will be ours. Big panning shot of the city in the Harbor. And we get a title sequence. Yep. Um, so one of the things that I, I think 
that isn't con- hasn't been conveyed about the Shanshan, and I'm sort of curious to see where the show goes, but in the books, they're very concerned about losing face. And so there's like a lot of, I want to say like Chinese influence into like how their hierarchy works in the books. And so like we, we have this obvious outcome of her losing her fingernails, but like why, how they get back into each other's good graces and how they like jostle for power will be really interesting to to watch as the show goes forward since I think that they're drawing some of that from the books and we get like little pieces of it. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that that's something that will make this show pop is if there's some depth to some of these um, empires and different organizations. I mean, because like people get, I mean, people, that's something that people can really dive into and uh, they, they need to, I mean, obviously there's a limit of how much depth they can give us on the show, but there needs to be enough that people can dive into it if they want to. So I'd like to yeah. see like a little bit of meat on that bone. Occasionally we get Moraine and Rand running around and uh, they come into a stable. This is a funny scene where Moraine's like three horses, three people at fourth horse getting got breathe, breathe. <laughs> you on the outs with Moraine now? I mean, I think that that was like, why not just like, you're already bringing along the lady and the horse that she's riding. Why not take the unburdened horse as well? Like, there's really... Are, are you calling that stable woman large? <laughs> no, but a horse carrying any kind of weight is going to be a little bit slower than one without. But you might as well just have her bring along the unburdened horse. Like, there was no no point to that other than to just show, I think, Moraine's sort of dedication and desperation. And, like, she sees sees a method to solve a problem that she's identified and she's willing to take it, you know, at, at pretty much any cost. Yeah. Um, I thought the, like, and as you say, I think it also maybe points to what Moraine's good at and what Moraine just doesn't think about. And I think this is one of the highlights of her being separated from Lan, who was a soldier for a really long time, would have basically been like, hey, if you bring another horse, like if you need to move faster, you can rotate horses like that. Like there are things that you can do right. with like more stuff. And she's just like, nope, I'm just going to like I have a plan and this is exactly what I'm going to do. And we're just going to, you know, move on. Yeah. One of I will say that horse. Uh, let's just say I would not have expected it to go that quickly. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so either. I, I don't know. I don't know that much about horses, but it, it seemed like a quick death, and I don't, I don't feel like that would have happened. Uh, yeah, I feel like what, what they're doing here is they're just trying to give us some scenes to show that Moraine is at wit's end, that she's at the end of her rope, that yeah. she's struggling too, and is like put together and is like plan within plan. I mean, I was just rewatching season one, and in the second to last episode, or no, it might be the might be the last episode, but it was right, right at the tail end when Moraine and Rand are walking through the blight. Rand is like, you always have a plan within a plan within a plan. Like this faith that they all had, all the kids had in Moraine from the events of season one. It's like, we're, it is a completely different dynamic now. Like she is really flying by the seat of her pants. She makes mistakes. She feels, um, you know, like she doesn't know what, what, what to do. And, and some of that comes out in her conversation with Ann Anavir later, um, yeah. which is a fun conversation. So yeah, that's, that's what we get here. I will say I was entertained that it is a non-Frisian that gets sacrificed. So basically one of the not fancy horses. 
It's like, yeah, that's classic. Yeah, Moraine's an aristocrat, right? She grew up with money. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. But also, they're probably not the fastest horses, so maybe she should have picked the scrappy one. But it's not like she needed speed, so. Well, it's, they just walk away. Yeah, they well, they end, uh-huh. end up not even using the horses, right? Uh, well, we see Lanfear roll Basically. up to the stable, and she explodes a guy's head, which just getting a sense of the power of, of Lanfear here, I, I kind of appreciate. Snap of the fingers. No more head on the guy. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting, and I'm sort of curious if they do this regularly, but they're having the Forsaken use their hands for weaves, and they're doing like little hand motions and have like a little bit of power in their hands. It's like their fingers and they're then, using almost. Right. It's yeah. much more delicate than the yeah, eyes eye. It's much more delicate. It's much more nuanced, but it's also, it's different than the Shanshan when they use the power. And so, like, I wonder if they're going right. to... Exactly. They're like a drum. They're um, like a marching band. They're like doing... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like um, and Big arm movements. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, like, what they carry through in terms of, like, how different people wield uh, the one power. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And now some people may question they say well hey lee you're a big landfear fan you're talking about how Rand needs to buddy up with landfear here's here's landfear exploding this guy's head for no reason and my response to that is if you want me to care for red shirts and fantasy we're gonna have to revamp the whole genre because uh, i <laughs> That's fair. sorry i don't care um and you know what it was probably a very quick death yeah it's a, if you if you gotta go pop yeah Better, better than what she does this other lady later in the episode yeah it's very uh, yeah. no country for old men mm. Perrin and Elias. I love all the Perrin and Elias scenes. I, I really don't get the Perrin hate in season two. I tried to articulate this last episode and BJ, you rightly called me out and said, well, you didn't say anything positive about Perrin. Maybe not. And I still am not like super crazy about his particular acting, but like the situations they have him in, the power that he has, the conversations he's had. I mean, he's buddies with Hopper. He's got Elias training him about being a wolf person. He ends up buddied up with an Aiel by the end of this thing. Like what the fuck do people want? Like, his story is interesting in season two. I'm confused by it. Do you, do you guys share that feeling? Uh, his story. Not the confusion. Yeah. Well, so first of all, like people, uh, most book fans are coming into this knowing what Perrin does, how, how he is in the series. And then looking at him doing kind of similar things in the show and just being like, I'm strong. I have this willpower and I'm not going to use it for reasons and i don't want to hurt anybody well i mean he like he hasn't even said that but like i think we have you know reasons for that but i i think that the disappointment that everybody has in perrin is he has handed all sorts of really cool things to work with the wolf power friends with aiel uh this cool mentor elias that knows all of these things um and he just kind of goes I don't want that. I'm going to go this way. Hmm. And it's like, yeah. all right, well, good for you, I guess. Um, I, I guess it's when the there are three the three main boys, and to an extent, Egwene and Nynaeve, I think, are characters that are available for, like, finding somebody that you, like, want to root for, and you see some of yourself in them. And I feel like Perrin is sort of the least interesting of those and i think that's why people like tend to shy away from him yeah 
And I think also in the in the show it's a bit tough because I do think that they are trying to play Perrin a little bit close to book Perrin in that he doesn't have a whole lot of outward things um, to talk about and he's just sort of confused all the time. But we don't get all the the internal conversations that he has in the book. Like, that's just very difficult to show on, on screen. Sure. Yeah. Well. Um, and, I mean, I and to your point, I think the same thing can be said of Matt in the show so far. Yeah, he's kind of loose. Matt, Matt's he's, way more boring to me than Perrin, for sure. Right. And and so, um, and and I guess, you know, I, I, I think that you'll find a lot of people say Perrin's kind of boring and they did Matt dirty. And I'm going to co-sign that. I might be the one saying it most of the time. But there are de- like people coming from the sure. books are, are, are the ones that are going to be saying that. And I think that show Perrin is right now more interesting. But I think like we're talking about and highlighting like one of the points where Elias is like, hey, let me tell you about all these cool things. And Perrin's like, well... I need to go find my friends. I need to go do this. I don't want to be a wolf person. Right. And it's kind of like, well, Perrin, you don't know how to fight. And you basically um, like immediately got wrecked in the the last couple fights you have. Why don't why don't you do something about it rather than just like run to your friends and not be able to help them again? It's a fair point, I guess. I mean, I I, um, I think you're talking about um, longer arcs for him. Whereas I'm, uh, I think the, I was really sort of, and, and you're not, I'm not saying you're wrong in any of that, but it's just, I was just talking about like the immediacy of this episode. It's like, well, I don't know. His scene, this episode was pretty cool. Uh, you know, he's with Elias. That's him true. and Elias are going yeah. back and forth. He yells at Elias at one point and he learns that that's probably a bad idea because like 70 wolves come <laughs> yep. out behind him. And like, I don't know. I felt like, uh, although from, from your comments, maybe that this is not where it's going to go if they follow the books but like i felt like him seeing that display of power from elias and also the dedication of hopper near him how hopper's always helping him out it would seem to me that eventually he'd embrace it um that's kind of what if if i did not hear anything about the books read anything about the books or no nothing if i was just show only i'd be assuming there's a point where he's going to flip and, and embrace this because it's clearly being set up yeah, yeah. I, I 100% agree with you, but I guess it's also just frustrating to me that in this episode, Elias is just like, let me teach yeah. you. And he's just like, bye. Yeah, that is, yeah. Well, I, I but that that's I mean, a frustration. That's an in-world frustration. It's not like a, they're writing the character bad. I don't like the story. It's, man, I wish this character would do a thing. Yes, right. 100%. Well, and I think the other thing there is Elias was maybe not untrue, but fairly mean about it, right? He was like, those people you want to go after aren't your friends. The humans from the two rivers aren't your friends. Like they're not your pack Mm -hmm. and your wife wasn't your pack. Like join us. And that obviously hits parent pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's almost like Elias hasn't been around people for a while and doesn't really know how to talk to them. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I, my hope is that Hopper is the, is the connection point for him that he figures out that like the thing that he sh- that he holds so closely, which is that connection with his friends from to the two rivers that like that friendship, he clearly values friendship so much. He can have mm-hmm. that right. with these animals too. Like, and that's an okay thing to embrace. And I hope he gets there. Yeah. 
Cut to more traveling with Lanfear. Lanfear is using the one power as a whip on the horse. Moraine and Ran step out on foot, and they did a little switcheroo there, where they let Lanfear sort of go ahead of them, and they they hid. It looks like, and yeah, Moraine Ran asked Moraine to tell him the truth of it all, and she drops this line, which I think is a line that we got in the in a bunch of the like trailers and stuff for the season. We did. Yeah. You did yep. not defeat the dark one at the eye of the world. You set, you set his strongest lieutenant free and Rand's confused, shocked. says they're in prison. And she's like, ran uh, your past life. You imprisoned them. But now Ishamael's free and he has released land fear. And then she says this, which I kind of wanted to like write down, like, Oh no, you might be wrong about this. She says, if he releases them all, well, then we have no hope of winning the last battle. And it's like, that seems to me to be a line that Moraine is saying a thing, but I'm not sure she's qualified to be saying that. Yeah, but she believes it. She must, right? She's saying it. But like it, 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 I'm like, that might be true, Moraine, but I'm not sure that you can see that far in the pattern that you have that clear of an understanding of the chessboard to say such a sweeping statement. Yeah, I, I think that Moraine has the really big fault of assuming that other people are similarly driven to herself and sort of view, have goals and motivations that, while they might not align with her, are like kind of similar in how important they are and how direct they are um, and things like that. Like, and I think that she has like some evidence of that in Leandrin, um, where like there's somebody that is scheming in the tower, is amassing power, like clearly has some sort of goal in mind. Um, And a lot of the people that she associates are that way. And then she- There's the rest of the world. Yeah, then there's the rest of the world. And I think that like, she doesn't get Alana. And she doesn't- Sure, no, she really doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of Ace that I don't get a lot of, but like, I think that there are a lot of, there, there are people that like are on her periphery and then other people that we meet that she's just like, wait, you don't want to like, you don't have a, an overarching goal in mind and you're amassing power to, to go for that one goal. So Moraine is that that person at work that is like, I just assumes everybody else is like taking their computer home at night, working on the weekends and stuff. And like. Just, just, and is disappointed when they when they find out that that might not be true. Yeah, and then like and calls everybody slackers for working forty five hour weeks. You know um, that that yeah. And now, now I understand why you like Spencer so much. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Spencer is Moraine. Hmm, that's interesting. Rand looks around, um, and then we see Perrin walking, and Hopper's following. Hopper notices something. Perrin looks ahead. They see an image of Uno dead in a cage. And he says they didn't even bury him. And I felt so excited because I knew that that was like a small nod to the book about how it's like really important for the people who lived in Faldala to bury their dead. And I was like, ha, there we go. I know something. Yep. Ha, all right. Perrin comes up. And we saw that, right? Like when Intar buried the dark friend. Yeah, Intar buried the dark friend. And we got it in season one when... uh, the when uh, Logan killed a bunch of the sisters and the warders, yeah. and they were getting buried, and Lan was like, "May the last embrace of the mother mm. welcome you home." Yeah, because yeah. he's he's from out there in the, the borderlands. Yeah, the borderlands. So near Faldala, an area that was taken over from the blight, 
um, Malkir. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Spirin comes up to the cage as he sees. Um, he takes a hammer. He's about to hit one, and he hears a person to call him a wetlander. So that's that's what the Aiel call pretty much everybody else, right? Wetlander. Right. So they're the Aiel that are in either the waste or the threefold land, and they call everybody wetlanders. And, you call it the waste. Um, yeah, I, I think that. Uh, I think we get it later in the episodes, but basically every time they're confronted with any more water than like a water skin, they're just like, what is this? This is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So he kind of has a little conversation. Um, he's about to have a conversation with her, but then a person comes up, well, a white cloak comes up and explains. Well, but we don't know that he's a white cloak at that moment, or at least Perrin doesn't. Correct. We don't, we don't find that out until later, but he, uh, we come, he comes up and says, can't trust an Aiel. He's like, what did she do? Like what you know? That's something I got to appear in credit for. He will. He dog with the bone with us. Haha. He uh, he would not allow them to hand wave a justification for putting a person in a cage, right? Because this guy's like, well, she did. She she came to the wrong place. And Perrin's like, huh? Okay, cool. And then like later on, he's like, hey, about that Aiel woman. Fuck, did she do? Can you please tell me? I also like the little detail of just the not a wolf, random dog. It's like I love Perrin. Like he's my favorite. yeah, that would be a real fun party trick. Like if you had a buddy who like was a wolf person, and every every do- every party you went to, it's like all the dogs loved him, because that that dog was like, I mean, playing tricks with him. It had like its paw up. It was like gonna shake. Yeah, uh, it was gonna do all kinds of things <laughs> there with Perrin. But yeah, the, anyway, the, the the conversation he has with this guy, what, what's the guy's name? Dane, Dane Bornholm, mm-hmm. yeah. is interesting to me because he just keeps pushing this like, you know, what's up with the Aiel woman, and then he. Perrin turns and sees some white cloaks and he's like, ah, I better get to bed. So he leaves. Yeah. Um, I think it was here that we get Dane giving, who we later find out is Avienda, the Isle woman, water skin. Yeah, he gave her a water skin. Yeah. Um, and so we sort of get like, maybe Dane is a little bit different because uh, he's clearly not like the questioners that we saw in, in season one. Um, and while... He, he has a sense of right and wrong, at least. Or, you know, at least some modicum therein. Yeah, they give us a crash course morals. in that, right? What'd you say, Ray? Yes. Uh, that he might have some morals. Yeah, yeah. So they give us a crash course in that because they immediately have Eamon Valda come up. And it's the enemy of my enemy. Is my, enemy of my enemy is my friend type of deal, right? Because, like, he doesn't get along with Valda. And we, we right. hate that fucker. So that's yep. like street cred for Dane. Like, that's right. good writing, I think. And Dane even, like, needles Valda a little bit. Like, Valda starts when the dogs are howling. And he's like, mm, there's no wolves here. Yeah. Well, you know. yeah, I think that was a, a, a sort of book joke with, uh, and, well, I showed well, you no, well, a show as joke well, as well. Because with Perrin. Um, and, and the uh, dog comes out. But we also get um, how powerful Avienda is, like, how good of a fighter that she Oof. is. And Well, hold, hold up. What? Am I jumping? Yeah, we're not. We're not. We're sure not quite are. there okay. because we're not there. Yeah, because we get Landfear traveling first. But okay. the, what we do get is Valda. I think drops an important bit of information that Dane Bar- Bornhold is a very is the son of a very important person. Yeah. Who? And so, if you remember, we met Captain Bornhold last season. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So he was the big sort of head of. He was the one that was even able to give Valda instructions. Right. He was the one that met Moraine. Right. And was like, eh, you should get that healed. 
Right. After she got uh, stabbed. Yep. Yes. Okay. I, I like it. Yeah. And he, so he, I mean, if I remember correctly, he, he seemed like a more reasonable white cloak than some exactly. of the others. And then his son seems to be also somewhat reasonable. Also. Right. Um, okay. I like it. Um, do we get Lanfear traveling? I got to tell you, Lanfear lover, big fan. I would be allying with Lanfear if I had a chance. Uh, doesn't seem like a great travel partner. She loses her temper pretty quickly when she gets slowed down. She doesn't like, she thinks these horses are way too slow. Um, she's kind of on edge this whole time and she ends up, uh, seeing the woman that the Moraine and Lan, really Moraine took with them. And what does she do to that woman's tongue? Does she either take the tongue out or does she hyperinflate the tongue? So no, she, uh, sews the lips together. So sews the to lips me together. very okay. matrix like right. where, very where traumatic, he, where like, mm. like her lips like come together, but then it doesn't like fuse like in the matrix. It just stays as she's like sewn. She like made her a fade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Powerless. Well, we don't know how how fades are made. So and Maybe she that's the like she just walks away. So like we don't know the resolution of what happened there because like as they're coming together, we get a scene change. She does seem to yeah. be like upset and in pain when when Lanfear does it. I don't know if I don't yeah. know if it like changes her to a dark friend or something. I don't, I don't know. Who knows what's going to go on with that lady. But I think the point of this scene and then the head exploding scene is to drive home something that Moraine says later in the episode, which is, and I got a cop to it because I have to be honest, much as I like Lanfear, uh, she does have a, a bent, slight bent of casual cruelty in her. That gets referenced later. And I, and I think one. that we got a little evidence here of, of that, right? Like Moraine says, there's two things we know about Lanfear. She'll fucking knife a bitch for no reason. She is casual cruelty, but also really loves the dragon, right? Like those are the two things. Yep. yep. All right. Inside the city, we see Varen arrive. This is inside Tarvalon. Mm-hmm. You know, as I read the books and I, I kind of like remember a little bit, uh, and then I'm reading book two, it is, it's, I, I, I got to give you both credit for like being able to separate the book characters. It's really tough. And like, it, I'm finding it particularly difficult with Varen because yeah. she's so like quirky and weird and funny in the books that like, I, I feel like I read too much into her scenes in the show. Like I, I'm, I'm, I would, I'm, I like want to describe her as like ultra talkative and like quirky and like in her own head. And I'm like, wait a second. I think I'm confusing that with book Varen. I think the show Varen, while she is a little chatty, they don't quite go as hard into the introvert kind of social oddball that we get in the book. Right. Yeah. I mean, we do get her kind of saying wild things to people. Like the, the couple of lines that she'll say to somebody are, she doesn't waste words and she doesn't like waste things that she says to people. And so it's just like, we could have a conversation or I could just be like, oh, you have this book. I need to borrow it from you now. Why don't you go do that? And like a thing happens. Um, so I, I think that we're getting some of the uh, wise woman that Varen is uh, that's coming through the show, like coming through the show in these episodes that we're getting now. Uh, because again, you know, she's not... We don't get to spend as much time with her as many other Aes Sedai, and she's not as talkative, but I do think that we have just really interesting things that get said every time she's talking. And I like that they're 
doing that with her. I agree. And I also think it's worth noting that like they take pains in the show to show you that Moraine is much, much older than she looks, right? But she still looks yeah. relatively young. Yeah. Varen kind of looks old. So she must be really right. fucking old. Like she's got to be like six, seven hundred years or something, or four or five or something. Like she's got to be like old, old, like to be showing it as an Aes Sedai like that. She might not be quite that old, but yeah, maybe 300. I, I mean, she's definitely old. I don't think we get exact numbers. No, but we have some commentary about how old the oldest living Aes Sedai is, and it's related to their strength and the power. And I don't think Varen is spectacularly powerful. So. Could we put the over under at 225? Yeah, let's do sure. that. Um, All right, I had it too high, but like anyway. she is old. Like she, be, to be showing it, she's got to be yeah. significantly older than characters we know are already really old. And that might come into play with like how she, like her knowledge base and her experience, right? Because right. she's been yeah. around a long time. So what we get a little bit of, and and the and Shariam, the mistress of novices, is also white haired. Yeah. So presumably older. Yeah, but so she sucks. one of the things that <laughs> yes, <laughs> that we get very early on in the books, and I think will it plays out and it's subtle, um, and I think it's worth mentioning that both power in the one power and age are some of the like unspoken power rules of the White Tower. And the older you are and the stronger you are, the more people will listen to you. Yeah. Um, and so we see some of that I think playing out when Varen walks in without any position basically popping out of retirement and basically starts telling everybody in the tower what to do and they're like all right okay yeah got it yeah I agree uh and that I she's she's very high on my character power rankings I, I, I really like Varen and she comes in and she speaks to someone named Yasika and mm-hmm. yep so she wants to check out the library. She brings she brings everybody some a stiff drink. You gotta appreciate that with a traveler. He comes in with a nice <laughs> bottle of something. And uh cut to uh oh, she asked about the new and very powerful novices. So she's there to, she's yep. there to learn a little bit about Egwene and Nynaeve. Yep. We move to Elaine and Nynaeve, um, who seem to be in the ways. Remember this from season one. There it looks like they're in the ways. Nynaeve asked how Leandrin could attack her. She broke the three O's. And Leandrin says, I've broken many more than that. I feel like it's one of those like staged reveals where like when, when Leandrin like uses the one power to throw him against the wall last episode, like we pretty much had the story, but then it get, kind of gets corroborated here in this episode that Leandrin's a dark friend. Yeah. I think this is a good way of bringing the characters up to speed where the viewers are in a fairly reasonable way because and like giving giving people confirmation and then you know the handful of people that were like only vaguely paying attention when we've been talking about the three oaths in the show confirmation that like hey there's a problem here yes yeah completely agree with that i i just want to go on record as saying i never said a good thing about leandrin um i've always been negative on her i've never said she was interesting or i like to see her character or anything so i've been very consistent on leandrin fuck her actually i feel uh, <laughs> i feel i feel kind of burned i i liked leandrin matter of fact i thought they were setting up to go the other way i thought it was too obvious that she would be a dark friend so i was i was pretty darn sure she wasn't and hmm, i was wrong well turns out turns out she was <sighs> yep yeah 
she tells a story about the oaths and it doesn't seem like she's got a lot of respect for how the oaths were developed and she eventually lands on every woman has her price Nynaeve drops this like fucking hot fire line at her your son is dying you betrayed your sisters and you're sitting in the dark trying to justify yourself to a woman you kidnapped was your price price worth all of this and we actually get a contemplative yeah. look from Leandrin there and you know I think that what we learned from Leandrin and I have been positing since day one we will learn with Lanfear and we'll probably learn with other characters is that just because somebody has turned to the dark like they're a dark friend in this in this world I don't think that means they don't have doubts like that they're not still struggling with certain elements of it and that they might, might right. fall one way or the other it's very Star Wars in that way like somebody could be like on the dark side one minute and then they kind of flip back based on life events or whatever um, that's the impression I'm getting here. I don't, I mean, we don't, we don't have a long amount of show for that, but that's what I'm, I'm getting. Um, I think the other side to that, and, and I'm, again, no, I, I think that's a, a, a very good take, but the other side to that is, uh, pledging yourself to the dark. It's a little bit like riding a tiger. Uh, you hopped on, you're, you're trying to get to your destination, but there might be a little bit more asked of you than uh, you initially thought. And so, like, I think that, I don't, you're making funny looks. Okay. I but liked they, it. I know. liked riding the tiger. That was good. I, I, I'm i just not sure about the <laughs> asked of you. I, I thought it, you were going to go more with, you, you got on this tiger, <sighs> and now you can't figure out how to get off because the tiger's going to eat you. Right. Like, well, so, like, she's still, she, she, Presumably, I, the show is leading us to believe that she became a dark friend to save her son. Save her son. Save yeah. her son, and that's not really happening. Like he's dying, and she's been asked to do all sorts of things that she may or may not agree with. And I think we get some evidence a little bit later oh, she that does. she doesn't agree. She doesn't with. like that collar shit. And, she is out on right. that. Right, and so I think this is we're starting to get some of the drawbacks of being a dark friend, which we talked about in previous episodes. Like, you know, you're like, the dark side seems pretty great. Like, I don't no, know. No, hold on. Like, I, I, I thought the people on the dark side look great. I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I think you also <laughs> said that you were interested by the philosophy. I, I'm not seeing any downsides by the dark, uh, but by being a dark friend uh, and, and the dark. Right I now. will. Uh, yeah, I, I will. Okay. Fuck it. I'll stay with that. I'm point. pretty, because I think that Ashamiel says some very interesting things later this episode that would be used well in a recruiting. So there you go. I, I, I He's think a dark friend. Maybe I Got it. I'm riding the tiger. You know, when he said riding uh, the tiger, I just heard doing cocaine. Like that's just what I heard. <laughs> like he, I know he meant like I a mean, literal tiger, but I, <laughs> I heard. Okay, all right. So it's it's like developing a drug problem. I got it. So I do. I'm I'm gonna stand in for your wife for a second Ooh, about nice. clothing. Um, I think one thing that I thought was interesting and I actually need to go back maybe and look at Landron's other outfits but this is the first time when we've seen her in like a a very dark outfit and this is when she's revealed to be Black Aja Um, and so I I suspect that might have been a conscious choice to put her in very dark clothing for this reveal I have a question why do they call it Black Aja instead of just saying they're out of the out of the order, out of the order, not a sister or whatever. Like, it's interesting to me that they instead. Because they're still sisters. Yeah, that that's an interesting part to me that they don't, they're not automatically kicked out. They're just a black Aja. Ah, but, well, so I think it's that, that's actually an interesting question of why the rest of the Ajas call them the black Aja. I can see why the sisters that have turned black 
they still consider themselves to be sisters. Okay. They're still part, like, that's such a deep ingrained part of them that now they're just, like, an added dimension by becoming a dark friend. But it's interesting that their membership in the tower is not retracted because they've turned to the dark. So I yeah. think what it's, what they call it the Black Aja because there aren't any sisters that aren't Black Aja that know that there are Black Aja sisters. And right. so they're referring to uh, women in Ajas that are also dark friends. And so I, I think it's, you know, kind of like, you know, there's undercover dark agents yeah. and that's how they're referring to them. I think that if uh, if you were to ask any of them if they're really Ace to die anymore, they would say no. Well, that's fair. That's yeah. So that I mean that that I don't know that for sure. Um, so uh, that's interesting. I mean, I, it's kind of like calling somebody a double agent. Like if somebody's a double agent, are they still part of the organization? Yeah, but you can see how if, if you use the term Black Aja, there's White Aja, there's Yellow Aja. Like they're they're all sisters. It sounds on the surface like it's just another another, another part of the order uh, or whatever, yeah. um, which it probably isn't, right? Like because they basically right. have forsaken the whole thing, ha, forsaken the whole thing. Um, yeah. All right, cool. So we get Sarath in a room, clearly upset. I gotta say, Ashamael, he might he might be respectful to the the dark one, but he's not a solid number two for anybody else because he <laughs> the way he speaks to her is pretty funny to me. He's like, you finished pouting, yep. Uh, and she's like, we should just kill Taroth. And he's like, God, you're dumb. And she's like, uh, well, you're only here at my invitation and getting literally, really spunky. And he starts to push her and he goes, I know why you swore your oath to the dark. And that just completely checks her. And I feel like there's something there. And I hope we get that story at some point. And he says, I hope so too. Time and, uh, yeah, I'd like, I don't know if we will, uh, but it seems like, the more people know in terms of like why people are are dark friends or know about other dark friends the higher up they they seem to be it does feel like the there's a segment of the dark friends that are like island of misfit toys it's like just fucking yeah. at my the end of my rope here like i i'm in love with this guy and he just doesn't love me so i'm going to join the i'm going to join the dark so i can get him back or my son's dying I can't save him. I'm going to join the dark to save him. And like, or whatever Lady Turoth is dealing with, which seems to be kind of in the same vein, the way he just kind of shuts her down. Like there's something that she right. wants out of the deal. Like family you know? or, right. Uh, he says, time and Gaiden, the last battle will be won right here in Falme. Written in the skies above the city, the dragon will join us. I have a gift for you too. They should be here shortly. And it's, yeah, we, we learn later that that's the, that's our heroes. That's Egwene and Nynaeve and Elaine. Cuts a pair and he's about to leave, but he sees the Aiel woman again. Oh, y- y'all have y'all have something from that last scene? No, I was, I was just saying uh, that the three of them are often referred to as the Power Girls in uh, the Power Girls. Yeah, by by book fans. I don't, not not uh, Power Powerpuff Girls, but Power Girls. Yep. Gotcha. Power Girls. All right. I probably won't. I probably won't <laughs> say that. I feel like some listeners aren't going to like that. Um, see the il woman he lets her out of the cage and uh good good move on his part i feel like solid move by parrot and she asked him very specifically like why did you let me out and he says people shouldn't be in cages and damned if i don't feel like that's the exact perfect answer for that person that he's talking to i feel like Mm -hmm. she really respects that answer 
And she says her name is Avienda of the Nine Valley, Sept of the Tardet Aiel. Far Daris, Mies, my water is yours. He says, uh, I'm Perrin. <laughs> she chuckles. Uh, he says they need to go, but they're too late. Folks show up white cloaks. And that's where we learn that Dane is also a white cloak, right? Uh, we learned that actually when he was sitting at the uh, oh, table yeah, talking and, with Perrin. And definitely when he was talking to the dude. Yeah, yeah, because Perrin looks off in the distance, sees a dude in a white cloak, gets a little sketchy, looks back at Dane, and Dane is leaned back and has some um, white revealed. And that's when Perrin's like, I gotta go upstairs. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Mm, Going to bed. Bye. Well, he uh, brings a, there's a bunch of people there. They probably got what? Maybe eight to 10, 10 folks there. Something like that. Maybe eight. Um, Yep. He says he's going to, they're going to attack all at once, which Dane is an interesting leader because he's like, we're going to attack all at once. And then they all attack and he just doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. Perrin goes to protect her and she just kind of laughs. You, you notice how Perrin like stands in front of her like you're not going to hurt her and she just kind of laughs at him and like gets back out in front of him and then uh, she yep. says Perrin Abaya do you like to dance uh, I love the Aiel people this is like a dope really really cool um, window into this culture I, I right away I'm, I'm fascinated I mean from the scene in the I think it was maybe episode 7 of the last season where we got the reveal that dragon that mm-hmm. ran was the dragon where we got the flashback to his mother who was giving birth and kicking people's ass. Uh, now yeah. to this lady who kicks people's ass, but also calls it dancing and the way that uh, she helped. I mean, cause in the fight, I mean, Perrin's not a great fighter, but she helps him kind of as they go. And he's more effective here as a hand to hand fighter than we've probably ever seen him in any other scene. He is, he, he does a couple good things here mm-hmm. and she's about to kill Dane. And he says, wait, he gave you water. He helped us. Remember? Um, and she actually tells him to let him go now, or did you, did you, or he, he tells her to let him go now. Did y'all catch that? Where he actually uses the word now yep. Yep. with her, which is like almost like an order, uh, but she does and they take off. Yep. Um, I think we get a little bit of, uh, some golden eyes during that battle, which sure might, do. uh, up. be a reason that Perrin is a little bit more functional. Hulking up. I like it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I will say I... I enjoyed this fight scene. I thought it was well done, not hokey. Um, the other thing is that we get, I think, what is the Aiel's music mm-hmm. um, for this, the start of this fight scene. Yeah, I think the female, like... Like the singing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, there's like a particular vocal that is associated yep. with them. So I'm okay with the idea that Avienda beat these people up here. That, that I'm fine with that. Didn't take me out of it. I uh, obviously they're setting up that the IELs are great fighters. Yeah, they can't be invincible though. Like so, there's gonna have to be a point they show me. Like it, it's important for me as a viewer to like see that one of them lose at some point. Like they can't just be invincible. Like because then they they become like a cheap plot device. It's like okay, well, whenever we just need somebody to win a battle, like let's just give them an IEL. They they got to yeah. take a shot every once in a while. I'm not saying Avienda's got to lose. But she can't look invincible all the time. That's so fair. I think the what we're starting to to get a sense of is that uh, what differentiates red shirts and not red shirts might not be what we expect. So we get a little bit. Basically, I think that if Dane had come in with people at his level, we might have seen something else. Um, and I. I think he's a 
bit of a better fighter, but also like we have uh, we we have some idea of like who good fighters are, especially warders, uh, people that have heron blades that are blade masters, and so we have a couple of martial societies as well. The a lot of the borderlanders trained as soldiers, and then we have like other people that are in armor, and are they fighters? Like, what have we seen the Children of the Light do? Like, are they... They look like more butchers they, than fighters. Right. And so, like, I think what this... The, I, th- I think you will get what you want, but I also think that, that like, the Shanshan are seem to be fighters. They seem to be better fighters than a lot of other people that we've had around. Maybe one-on-one, the Borderlanders, like, can hold their own. Uh, maybe, you know even with a little bit of, of a disadvantage, they can triumph. But like most of the people that we're interacting with aren't soldiers. And Avienda is at least, you know, in what we've seen, she's a warrior. Sure, yeah. And and so I think that the, uh, I agree with your expectation. And I think that it is a very good measure of like, is somebody a warrior or are they just somebody with, One of the fantastic things that Game of Thrones did in later seasons, which is not a sentence the internet ever says, is (laughs) that Bronn was this wonderful fighter who fought for Tyrion and like basically won every one-on-one fight ever, like in the first four seasons. And then Tyrion needs someone to fight the mountain. And Bronn's like, I can't beat him. He just says, I I can't do it. Like, I'm not, I'm not as good. And it was like kind of a really, it was like a really shocking moment, but it was like also, I was such a relief as a viewer because I'm like, thank God that, that, that not this like, just plot device is going to be wedged in here to win every single fight. They've right. established yeah. some limit to his power. So I just, I, I bought this scene. I have no concern with this scene. It's just something to think about in the future. Yeah. Sure. Um, the other thing to think about is we also saw a different level of power earlier this episode. Yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, like how much do you, do spears and uh, swords matter when you can just, uh, do some head popping. Oh yeah, well yeah, I mean that's a different deal, right? Because like, yeah, I mean when when I'm sh- I'm fairly certain that there it probably happened in the IEL war. I don't know the lore about it, but they've referenced the IEL war, and I'm I would guess that part of the thing that eventually pushed them back is if somebody who could channel dealt with them, because that that would be something that could immediately deal with Avianda, right? Um, so yeah, we get Moraine. Yeah, we'll see Moraine and Rand walking through a city. Um, Rand mentioned sleep. Landfear was famous for two things among the Forsaken, her casual cruelty. Yeah, I don't know. I got to admit that one. I got to cop to that one. <laughs> I can't argue. And her command of Teleronriod. Look at me. Knocked it right out. Uh, Very the dream nice. world. Rand asked if she can keep them awake with the one power, and she just says no. And it, it's interesting that Rand doesn't pick at that. Because I don't think he knows that she's still, like, clearly he didn't. No, I don't think he has any idea. So, like, he should fucking be picking at that a little bit. Um, Because I think one of the things, again, I I was rewatching some of the episodes from season one, and I I noticed something, which was Moraine obviously has a loyalty to the dragon. But she seemed to start to develop a loyalty, particularly to Rand, when they were in the blight. And it was, he kept asking about her and how she was doing. And if she was okay and like how it was leaving land and if she was tired and like these little things. And she, the actress did a wonderful job of constantly looking at him, like almost like she's seeing a new person, like, Oh, he's kind. Yeah. 
like he's got this he's got this part of him that I that I didn't know that I like that's going to be super helpful for somebody who's like the chosen one. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I I'd like to see him do more of that with Moraine this season. Um, I think he does. Do you? I think. Sorry. He does, and he does. He kind of does at the end of the se- episode, right when he's like, "You're tired too," right? So he he is still kind of worried about her. Yeah. But do you think that he's going to be particularly perceptive and or wants to pick at things that Moraine is telling him after the fairly traumatic experience that just occurred? I know Rand doesn't seem like the brightest bulb. So there's that, but there's also like, he knows that she's been manipulating him ever since the eye of the world. (laughs) So I see a very big difference between book Rand and show Rand so far. Book Rand is dumb for sure. I mean, I get, I mean, damn, (laughs) he's stupid, but in the show, I'm not quite sure Rand is just outright dumb. Um, I, I don't, I don't get the same impression from him. He seems a little more perceptive in the show. Yeah. And I think he already doesn't trust Moraine in the show, whereas it took him a little bit longer in the books to really not trust Moraine. Yeah. Yeah. I will not be Uh, used. Um, yes. So like we, cause he knows, or he has some sense that she helped him get the job at the hospital that she put him there. Um, and that he put, um, what's his face there? Logan. Logan. Yeah, Logan. Yeah. yeah, that she put Logan there. Um, and then also that, like, maybe she just found out that, you know, Lan- that, that Lanfear has been out and hanging out with Rand for a couple months, but also, like, he doesn't know. And she just, like, tried to, uh, you know, just stabbed her in the back and was like, all right, we need to run. And so I think he's starting to process, like, what all is going on here. And so it was a little bit less, like are you okay? And a little bit more like what's going on. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's just me. Like I unabashed fan of Rand at this point, because he's the chosen one. Right. So it's just kind of of me rooting for him as a character. It's not like I find it unrealistic that he wouldn't ask her about it. It's just that I kind of wish he'd go, Hey, hold on. What? You can't do that. Are you like, are you okay? Like what happened? I'd like to see that kind of like kindness and like him, him trying to take care of people around him. Um, yeah. and maybe we'll see it. I don't know, but it, Moraine storms in and she's there with Barthanus and Anavir and Moraine tries to be a human with Barthanus. I have to say, I, I had such like, I felt so such a kindred spirit with Moraine. Like I don't live near my family. And like, when I go back and see people and I'm like, so how are you? Like, <laughs> I feel such, <laughs> I feel just as awkward as Moraine seems there. It's not that she doesn't care. She clearly likes Barthanus. She's trying She's just fucking yeah. awkward. Like she's right. an awkward person with him. And he's, he's way more smooth than she is in the whole interaction, but she yeah. is trying. Yeah. You were just this, as high as this table. The last time I saw you. Yeah. Yep. He's going to be King. And he makes this like really charming joke about how she should be subservient. And I feel like it's the type of joke that could land wrong if it's not delivered appropriately, but he, He's delivering yeah. it with such humility that it just works perfect. And, and Moraine even seems to like it. Uh, but as she leaves, she continues to joke with him. But the big thing here is that she's asked for some horses and she's getting clothes and food for Rand. Yep. Yep. Cut to Shiriam, who sucks. <laughs> uh, she's riding and Varen comes in just chatting away. Varen plays nice and asks to speak with Nynaeve and Egwene. Shiriam 
This is evasive. So they're doing their chores. Farron kind of calls bullshit on that, but also says the daughter heir is missing. And I, I am pretty fucking astonished that the uh, the Aes Sedai don't have a little bit of a better line on what's going on with Elaine, the the, the heir yep. to the kingdom. You would think they'd be watching her a little closer. Um, Shiram looks at the logs and sees they were signed out. They were supposed to be going to Cayman, which was Elaine's home. So basically like a royal visit type deal. Um, and But she didn't remember it. But but as soon as she looked, it was strange, right? So she, here's what I got from the show is that like Shiram didn't offhandedly remember it, like when, when Vera had asked. But as soon as she looked at it and read it, she had a memory of writing it. And she's like, yeah, I should have remembered that, shouldn't I? I don't know how it slipped my mind. And then end of scene. Yeah, she's like, oh, right. oh here it is. Um, and yeah, I should have remembered that. So I, I don't know what's going on here. I, like we have a theory that's put out later by Varen, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like we'll get there. Uh, but but yeah, I think. I mean, it, I think it's in this season or this uh, episode fairly shortly. Yeah, it is. Did y'all catch that I was like totally spoilery last episode, where I was like, yeah, one of the things you can't do is like make people do stuff against their will like compulsion or whatever like that's really bad i was totally thinking of this scene when i was saying that uh-huh <laughs> that was not good for me you know what you know what varen is varen's like our friend levi who's over on the, the fast and fast pods with us if i tell a lie around levi he's just like is that right yeah so what what was that what was <laughs> that again interesting. and i'm like how in the fuck does he know every single time like you know there's there's people in your life that just like when you tell a little white lie, they just start pulling at the thread. That's Varen. Like she is, oh, yeah. really? You don't remember that? Well, you probably should have remembered that, right? It's something important to remember. I wonder why you didn't. <laughs> um, and so I think we get a little bit more of this in the books. but And this is very much how Levi is. Because like, you'll tell a white lie like, oh, yeah, like I really like the cake that you brought. And Levi will be like, hmm, do you? Did you? You took one bite and threw it out. <laughs> like, why would, you, why, would, why would you say that? You didn't like it? It's like. Okay, Levi, thanks. Like, yeah. Fine, I didn't like it. Okay, you happy? Varen then asks about a specific book, Meditations on the Kindling Flame. And Varen says she's easy for a short passage. So they go off to get the book. And that just allows Yaska to come in and uh, look at the log more closely. Yep. There's something we seem to learn about Yasika in the next scene is that she has like some sort of like perfect photographic memory or something. Uh-huh. Eidetic memory. Yep. What is that called? Eidetic. Eidetic? It's... It's... A more technical term for photographic memory. Oh, okay, cool. Never heard it. Um, yeah, so she says there's a tremor in the notation and that um, Shiram's hand was moving more slowly when she when she wrote that section of the log. And that's when I believe Varen kind of floats the idea that it could have been compulsion, which um, <laughs> I, I think just context clues is just an Aes Sedai using the one power to force somebody to do something, right? Right. Cut to the ways opening. Leandrin coming out. She's got the three girls slung over horseback and she's walking them to Suroth. And if you if anybody still had questions that she was a dark friend, I think it gets eliminated here, where she's dropping the girls off. Um, but that this is where they kind of have beef. She kind of goes back and forth with Suroth and she's talking about how what what's what they do, what the Shanshin do uh with the Domani um is uh, reprehensible. She thinks it's awful. And if specifically these collars, what are the collars called? Adam. The what? Or Adam. 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 I think. Yeah, I think they're Adam in yeah. the show. Adam. Okay, yeah, the, the collars seem to be. And, and are are the are the Adam a uh, Serangriol? Terangriol? 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they're they're something that's made with a water yeah. power that has a specific use. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. that's good. This uh, some of the threads connecting here is consistency in the show. Um, anyway, Landrin sort of storms out after an argument with this this lady, and she does tell Sarath that she's going to fuck her up one day if if she lives that long. But when she leaves, she removes the weaves that were, you know, the blocks on the three girls. And I wanted to ask you both, like, what was your feeling on that scene? Was that a fuck you to Sarath or was she supposed to remove them before she left anyway? Um, I think it was two things. And I think she also, like, I think that just removing the shields wouldn't have woken them up. So I think that that was like another thing. Um, I think she did. I think there were two things here. One, I think she likes Nynaeve. Yep. Yep. I don't think she cares at all about Egwene. Um, <laughs> he even dislikes her. <laughs> Much like you, you and Leandrin, BJ. <laughs> I was about to say, one of the few things about Leandrin that I co-sign. Um, and so I think this was a, uh, a, a middle finger to Surath, uh helping out Nynaeve, who she, ha- I think, feels a little bit of a kindred spirit to, you know, has has some pity on her is interested in her and uh, I think is riding the line of what she was told to do and what she sort of has to do and then finding wiggle room in how she does it. Yeah, I, I suspect she was told, bring the three girls, meet the Sanchin, hand them over. I think two. Or the, the two girls. Yeah, yeah. so I think it's only Egwene yeah. and but, yeah. I think Elaine was... But anyway, so she essentially drops them off and then is like... Yeah, I'm going to give them a chance. Like, yeah. I, I cannot go back on my word. I cannot take them away. But I can free, you know, I can take off their shields and I can untie Nynaeve. And because we know that I said I use their hands to channel, that gives Nynaeve this chance of, like, if she can touch the one power, she has a chance to get away. I have a question for you, Bree. The three girls that get dropped off, can you do a quick power rankings for me? Your favorite? Nynaeve, Ooh. Elaine, Egwene. Well, so, I mean, power rankings, I think, is different. No, no, for you. for you, Yeah, yeah, like yeah, for you, who you like. Yeah. Right. Personal ranking. Um, you know, I really like, I think I like show Elaine quite a bit. I think she's got to be a solid top of that. And then Nynaeve, she is often frustrating, but I feel a little bit of a, a kindred spirit with her. Um, and then... Egwene just is what? so frustrating. <laughs> what? I said then Leandrin, and then Lanfear, on and on and on, and then Egwene. Yeah. I think I'm with you. I think that's my three, too. I also think that, like, it seems it seems like in this scene, Nynaeve is blocked. She's not able to yeah. use the power. Yep. But I'm so not sure Leandrin say- would have known that she's not able to use the power here. But she also might have been thinking, like, well, <laughs> if Nynaeve is able to. She might just kill everybody here. <laughs> like Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I think she's she's like, you know what, on the out chance that Nynaeve can make it through her block and channel, she could fuck everybody up. I mean, it hard. would have been over, right, if she could have actually I mean the things we've seen her do already. Uh, but she's not right. able to do it. So instead we just get little like fireballs from Elaine and Egwene, which aren't enough. Well, Egwene does a, a shield sort of thing that blocks some of the demonic. That's a good point. She uh, does use a shield. Attacks. Yeah. And I think we yeah. yeah, I think we need to take note of that. Um she's she clearly has learned the weave for the shield. Um yep. you had a question, BJ? Uh not no. important? Okay. We shall move on. Um so 
Anyway, Gwen falls behind in the catcher. Cut to Perrin. And uh, she <laughs> says, you do not dance the spears badly, Perrin Nabara. And he says he thought they would never leave the waste. And she kind of chastises him, as I did BJ earlier in the episode. Only you call it the waste. We don't call it the waste, which makes sense, right? It's like, I'm not going to call it the waste. I'm from there, damn it. We, we call it something different. They have a cool conversation. And at the end of it, she starts teasing him about, um, you know, wanting to have sex with him. And she, she she's pretty perceptive. She picked up on the fact that he's a little prudish. So she just started making fun of him. I don't know. I like the, I like the whole bond there. I, I like the vibe between the two of these. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's cute. Yep. Um, I, it is, I like that they kept that part about the aisle in from the books that they, they are not as prudish or they have very different views on, uh, like showing interest in the opposite sex, dating sex and marriage compared to the wetlanders or everybody on this side of the spine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Um, which thank God, cause our, I mean, our characters are, I mean, they are, they're wound pretty tight. I mean, they are <laughs> like a. It, I, mean, I don't know. You touch. Rand is shacking up with the Forsaken. That's true. He has he has broken through, but it, it does seem like. Uh, and Nynaeve did a little bit with Land last uh, last season, but like there there's definitely some prudish in our heroes here, um, where they they don't don't seem to have a ton of experience, and when it comes up with some of the characters, they can get they get they kind of clam up. Um, so it might be good might be yeah. good for Perrin to be around some people like this for a while, loosen them up a little bit. Come on, Perrin. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> that sounds promising. Uh, the, we get some horses neighing, camels moving, and we see a bunch of people coming into an area. And it's uh, we see Nynaeve and Elaine are walking into a city. Elaine is able to figure it out because she is the daughter heir. She knows everything um, about these cities and the geography and the people and the history. Right? She's really learned it yep. in that respect. And she says it's the flame on Toman Head, thousands of miles west of the White Tower. If you look at the... Uh, Look at the the little insert map uh, that you get in the books. Uh, Toman Head really is way out left. It's it's really yep. way way west. Um, yep. Which is way far away from Tarwin's Gap, Faldala, that whole area, um, and and certainly yep. a long ways away from um, the White Tower, which is sort of uh, Tarvalin, which is sort of more in the middle ish, kind of. Yep. Relatively centrally located. Yeah. Anyway, they uh, Nynaeve is snippy with her this whole time, which was kind of stupid because like Elaine kind of has a much better handle of what's going on here. I mean, she's talking about like they need to change their clothes and Nynaeve is like, are they not fancy enough for you? And I want to just shake Nynaeve and be like, really? You really think that's what she's concerned about right now? Like, that's the dumbest response. Like, but come on. But this is so on track. So it, it, I love I, it so much. Well, it's, it, it's, it's, very, it's very Nynaeve. And I think it's also like, it's... A book joke, because like every time the three girls are together, Stout Two Rivers Wollens. Yeah, like Nynaeve, ta- Nynaeve talks about Stout Two Rivers Wolves. Uh, so does Egwene, and they all end up in silk dresses like every single time. And then and as soon out- as soon as they go anywhere, Nynaeve's like, "Nope, I'm go- going back to my Stout Two Rivers dress because like I, you know, the, these silk dresses just aren't for me." So I think this was a a little bit of like the the back and forth that you kind of would expect like Nynaeve was basically one of the most powerful people in the two rivers uh, in terms of like wielding political and social power. And so I think has, hasn't adjusted to not being like the, the head honcho in the room. Right. Especially now that they've left the white tower. Right. Um, 
And then you also get this nod to like things that happened in the books. Well, and also she's in that that aspect of the Dunning Kruger curve where she <laughs> <laughs> she is d- dangerous because she doesn't know what she doesn't know, and she doesn't realize that she doesn't know this stuff. So like Elaine is like, hold up, red flags. We are not dressed the same as everybody else. This is a problem. And Nynaeve's like, Psh, whatever, like completely doesn't pick up on this. Yeah, I just think like one of the fatal flaws in in like smart people or capable people is when they don't know what they don't know. <clears throat> and Nynaeve seems to not know what she doesn't know. Like that and that's going to be a, like a, that's a real big flaw for her. Like Absolutely. objectively speaking, when they're in a they're in a city that she doesn't know and Elaine, the daughter heir of <laughs> of Andor is able to point out the city and know what the city is. I'd listen to her about fitting in. Like I would like she what Nynaeve should have done is said, "Oop, you have knowledge here I don't know." And like she has enough context to know that and say, "Hey, what should we do?" right? Instead, she's just poking her head around every corner and just sort of like fumbling about bull in a china shop. It's a uh, yeah. it's off-putting for a character, but I I do get what you guys are saying that like she's just not used to being told what to do. Yeah. Leandrin's back in the White Tower and uh guess what, guys? She's got some green asparagus or some white asparagus. White. And the white asparagus, you can only get it at one place at one time, so I obviously was there. Don't say I wasn't there. I was there. I was totally there. See, white asparagus. C C C. It's a little wasn't anywhere it's a little, else. Little uh-huh. earnest, and Ver- Varen's picking up on it, right? Mm-hmm. Varen's like, "Oh, she points oh, at that." Okay, that's exactly where you were. I'm sure. Yeah. Cool. So they have this whole conversation where Leandrin uh, seems to pick up on something that Varen says and use the knowledge that she knows about a royal party being attacked to piece together that it was probably the girls. And oh my gosh, we have to go get them because they're worth more than gold themselves. And I care so much. I've got to go. And it's just all bullshit. And Varen seems to be seeing right through it. So I was kind of confused here because uh, Leandrin's like, we should go right now. And Varen's like, bye. And like, there was no addressing that she's just like, I'm not climbing those stairs. Bye. Well, but I think also, like, it was a bit odd. But also, I think Leandrin kind of really wanted to get away. So she wasn't, she wasn't going to be like, well, Varen, are you, are you coming? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. It, I guess, uh, Lee, how did that hit you? I took it as Leandrin was nervous and was over, over-talking <laughs> and couldn't, get, yeah. couldn't wait to get away from Varen and had, did, was not concerned that Varen didn't follow. Yeah, that's fair. Um, then we cut to Moraine, uh, who's in her chambers, clearly exhausted. She's trying to wash up. I, uh... I just find myself like, like I, like I really, really care about this character Moraine. Like, and I, I don't know if I should or not, but like when I see her like struggling with the water in the first episode or here where she's like not allowed to sleep because of fucking land fear. And like, I, I feel like real sympathy and concern for the character and she doesn't often give us a lot of emotion. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not always a hundred percent sure why I care about her so much, but I do. I think yeah. part, part of it is that I think that the other part of it, for me that I, I read into Moraine is like, this is, this is the person that knows the most about what's going on and is also sort of the, the person that, that is helping the main characters like achieve. And so like we're coming into this expecting that, that Rand's going to be out of his element that, you know, all, all of the kids, like, they're not worldly. They're not, you know, do they're, they're not going to be able to keep up with the people that run this world. 
And Moraine is one of those people. And so when she's having a rough time, we understand the weight of what's going on and how hard triumph of like getting the dragon to where he's supposed to be getting like getting things lined up so like the the last battle turns out the way that you know turns out that the light wins that you know these kids get to grow up and come into their power how hard that is um and so i think it's like seeing this power and authority figure struggling makes us care more about what's going on in the story I think that's well put. I agree with you. I, and I think that probably her, her fierce dedication to a character that we've started to really care about, Rand, is is probably up there for me anyway. I mean, the fact that she <clears throat> makes it clear every chance she gets, like, I'm fucking do or die. I'm like, you know, for, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in it, you know, with Rand. Like, I, I care about that a lot. Question, did anybody in the fandom ever ship Moraine and, La- and Rand? Did, it, did that ever happen? Uh... I wasn't as into... Uh, there is a point in the books where that is discussed. Yes. So so the answer, like, I can guarantee you, like, there is that shipping. Um, and... Mostly no. Yeah. I, I think that... Like, Maureen is a little too Gandalf. Yeah. So, like, for me, it's not... It, it, it's certainly not a sexual thing. But, like... They they do have this sort of feeling of a couple sometimes in that they're like they they they're like working together they're they're in this thing and like they're supporting each other and um there's there's real teamwork there and maybe that's just friendship I don't know but like it, it, as soon as I uh, see like I see a lot of that on screen I'm like I bet there's somebody out there going that those two should be uh those two should be should be a yeah. thing yeah I mean it's so <laughs> different in the book right like Maureen isn't quite this single like one-on-one involved um, and also like yeah. um rosamund pike is gorgeous i'm not sure that moraine is like but we're not supposed to believe she's like drop dead gorgeous in the books right uh no, I th- no she's supposed to be pretty like, yeah i think she's supposed to be up there i think i don't i don't think that she's supposed to be like turn heads gorgeous land fear tier well but like <laughs> who is pj right who right is? No, no no but like that i i think that that's that's basically the standard that like channelers are matched against Rand and like in the books, at least beauty is basically me- measured against Landfear. Fair right? enough. And you just can't match that. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think Moraine is supposed like maybe a little bit on the sterner side, but definitely supposed to be like a very pretty. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, as, as we was saying, we're getting a lot more one-on-one with Rand and Moraine in the show. And I think that's a really good move. I think when we get it later in the books, the relationship has evolved beyond so that much that like, it, it's less of a, less of an obvious thing to go sure. to. Okay. Um, and so we, what I would, and lands also around more. Right. Not that that should prohibit anything because Lan and Moraine not a, not are, not a thing. Thing. are not a thing, but they're more of a thing in the show. Yeah. And so I feel like there's this gap of almost romantic part. Like, they're not romantic partners, but, like, taking a bath together is... Pretty darn romantic. Uh, intimate, maybe. Yes, yeah. intimate, sure. That, that's that's a Yeah, I think that's a better description. Uh, uh, but, yes, there is a point in the books, and I, I don't think this is a spoiler because I doubt that it's going to come up. 
I don't think Drop so it. either. Go for it. Is is that there is a, and I think it's almost throwaway. It's like, and it also shows Maureen's dedication. Somebody asked her, "Would you have slept with Rand when you found him if that's what it required to get him away from his I'm sure you know, she village?" Said yes. And she was like, "Absolutely, I would do anything." Yeah, yeah. I mean that that that, and I get that impression from Show Moraine too. I, I like I wouldn't even question. Like if if she was put that question, yeah. I feel like it would be like a very simple answer for her. Like, well, yeah, fucking of course. I mean, whatever, you know. She's willing right. to die, you know. I mean, she'd hook up with him if uh, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I I appreciate her dedication to him, and I I do like the one on one scenes with them, and I feel like she's bringing him along. I mean, she's teaching him a lot of stuff, and. Um, He's better for, for being around her, I think. So we get this, this conversation with Moraine and Anavere. And, you know, in essence, I think what we get out of this is that Moraine finally breaks and is like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing, basically. And, you know, I might I might have just destroyed this whole city by bringing Rand here if I don't play this yeah. right. And Anavere hits her with this. She says a really, really, really smart, really great older sister told her one time, if you're, if you're worried about something, if you're struggling with something, ask yourself one question, is it true? And it was like the perfect question because as soon as she puts it, do you really know, do you really know that Rian absolutely needs your protection? There's this like look of shock on Moraine's face. And it's like, as the, as the watcher, I also had the same mental gymnastics where I went, hold on. She really doesn't know that, does she? Like she assumes that yep. she needs to protect yep. him. But I'm not sure she knows that for certain. And it was like a, a, a kind of a cool, cool scene. Yep. Um, I think that they're showing a little bit more about Aesodai having uh, gaps in their knowledge and being fallible earlier on. And I think it's making them for more complicated characters. I, I think that the, uh, <clears throat> yeah, they're definitely doing that. But you've also helped me with that on this podcast. You and you and Bree have because you both have like framed the Sedai as basically like you know th- third graders in power to the college varsity athletes that are the Forsaken. So I, I always think of that when I'm I'm like watching the the Sedai. Like I, I think it through the lens of like these. Yes, they channel, but this is diminished from where it was. Um, yeah. Then we get a Shamael in bed with Rand. Oh, that's not Rand. That's Lanfear. She's just pulling a little trick on him. And they have a absolutely fantastic scene that like, I feel like I want to quote every single one of these lines because they're all charged and they all seem to have like, they're just dripping with history or foreshadowing every single one of these lines. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I'll focus on maybe just a couple where Ashamayel says that he, this kind of, it feels like an offhanded thing. But I, I really love this quote where he's like, you know, people blame us for the breaking of the world, but they didn't bother to pick the pieces up for 3000 years and they're still bashing about with swords and queens. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. He also says that after the great Lord's victory, um, you know, he, he's talking about after the great Lord's victory, uh, they're toasting to that, which is interesting because later on he, <laughs> he doesn't, he's not talking <laughs> about after he's saying that we need to break everything and into you end, end existence. There's going to be. No yeah, after, exactly. Yeah. Um, Another thing that comes out in this conversation is that uh, I, I really, I really don't think Lanfear likes Moraine too much. <laughs> I don't. No, she's like, why didn't you kill, this, this kill her? Bitch. Like, yeah, because he's. She should just be dead. Like, well, you, yeah, Rand found out about your innkeeper act. How did that happen? I didn't tell him. Moraine told it like gritted teeth, you know. Yeah. And then. Um, I mean, also, I, I, I think you can't. Love Blamer? the person that stabbed you a couple of times and cut your. Throat, oh well, I mean, so. does she care about that really? 
Uh, I think it still hurts. It's probably unpleasant. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I, I that didn't seem like something that she'll she'll think about too long. Um, she seems more frustrated that Moraine is interjecting herself in her relationship with Rand. Yeah, right. And then we get um, the end of the conversation where Shamael is talking to Lanfear, and Lanfear goes, "How do you know I won't betray you?" And Shamael's like, "Will you?" And she goes, "Obviously." And she laughs. And Ashamael laughs too, but I don't know if you guys caught this, but when Ashamael kind of turns away, Lanfear's face goes blank. Like she's, she, it, it's like the, um, you know, you're talking to somebody and you're telling a joke and then they walk away and you're like, you drop your face because it was never funny. Like yeah. that's the kind of thing I got from her where there's something going on in her thought process that she's hiding from Ashamael or um, yeah. trying to hide from him. Right. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I, I think that we start to understand a little bit more about the dark not being, uh, and the Forsaken not always, like, having the same goals. Like, maybe there's, you know, their information from the Dark Lord, you know, they, they get orders, but, like, how those are carried out and, like, what anybody in particular wants to do is not always, you know, on the same track. Yep. And that actually, I think, is pretty evident when Lanfear sort of questions, like, why did you wake me? And Ishamuel's basically like, you're predictable. I know what drives you. Yeah, you're predictable. Yeah, you're predictable. I know how to manipulate you, basically. Um, I don't think he should have said that to her. I think that was a bad move on Ishamuel's part, because I think that she's already, that's already a strained relationship. And when he basically says, like, Oh well, I I can I can manipulate you. I think I mean Lanfear's not just going to hear that and go, okay, cool. Well, he'll just keep manipulating me, and I won't think about that. Like <laughs> that's going to fester. Well, I think that there's that, but I think part of it is I feel like this was a little bit of uh, exposition to the audience of Ashamal's like I woke you up because I am trying to turn Rand to the dark and. I know you're going to be motivated to get in close with him and further that thing that I'm doing. Like he clearly has other irons in the fire, but but I think that's a big one. And I think making that very clear is really important. And mm-hmm. I think they, they'll they'll continue to work on that. But uh, I, I definitely think that this is sort of one of those like, yeah, you're easy to manipulate. I know what you want. I know that you want the dragon reborn. Uh, I know that's where this is. And that's what my goal is in waking you up. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the other thing, too, is they do talk about the girls and the boys, which are Rand's friends. And I think it was just a nice exposition about how Ishamel is thinking about how to use Rand's friends against him. Mm. Yeah, because they do they do talk about <clears throat> the the other friends, right? They mm-hmm. they basically name drop. He's like, um, he explains that like with the the wit the two the two girls is like one one is one love craves power and one is scared of power. He yep. says Matt was born into me, which I thought was a very interesting line. And Perrin will soon be more wolf than man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he asks, what what do you think Rand will do when all his friends? are you know turned to the dark basically she said he'll break and yeah uh land fear is like he will break and it is unclear to me if that's actually something that she wants it didn't sound like it, it, it right, yeah but, it sounds i mean because like i 
I subscribe to the theory and, you know, totally prepared to be burned by this, right? Like, but I, I stake in my claim that she actually has started to like Rand. Like, she likes the guy Rand. Like, and I think that, like, mm-hmm. we don't know that for sure. That's me guessing. Because they're very, very much could still just be this legacy love of Lewis that, that, is, that is driving everything. But I tend to think that there's this little overlay of she started to like this guy Rand as well. And, um, but we'll see, right? But that that's what I sort of took from some of the yeah. earlier scenes. She also name drops a couple Forsaken here. I, I don't, I feel like they're name dropping Forsaken because they want us to know these particular Forsaken. So I will say their names, Mogidian and Grendel. Mm-hmm. Mogidian, she said, is insane, and Grendel's a vain idiot. So, there you go. Um, and they also mentioned the boys, which we yeah. have theories on who they yeah, might be. I didn't know what to do with that one. But, like, the boys. Yeah, so I, I think they haven't... I don't know that they've decided which Forsaken they're going to have. Maybe that's why they haven't named them. Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, he also says, the Dark One... I'm the Dark One's homeboy. I'm the number two... I'm the boss around here because I believe in the dark and I want to fucking stop everything. I want to stop all, all the world. That's how I will stop this. But you know, the writing, I, I can't help but think they are making us think because he says the only way to stop all this suffering is to stop the wheel itself. Suffering is a very interesting word to use there because the concept of stopping life and rebirth is nirvana for buddhists that 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 to stop the 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 life and rebirth process is nirvana that to to break that cycle and it's also to get away from suffering and they're very intentionally use that word suffering it's a very big word in the buddhist faith like the word suffering and to and to get away from suffering so i just kind of wonder if they're they're making people think they're like you know somebody who knows a little bit about i know enough about buddhism to be scary that i'm like wait a second that that that's like that's close enough to like a good thing for some people that it kind of makes me think. Yeah. Um, the Buddhist. Maybe. I think so. uh, Robert Jordan pulled from a lot of faiths when he was doing this. And one of the names, um, I think is Zoroastrian, uh, Shaitan. Um, But like he pulled from a lot of like very old faiths in building a lot of his lore. And so, I'm unsurprised that they're leaning certain directions in the show to like reference that. Agreed. That 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 sounds right, and probably why there's like books written. Like I I know that there are books written about how the Wheel of Time was developed. Like I know people have written yeah. books about like the the real history behind Wheel of Time, or like how it connects to like um, you know real events or whatever. How Robert Jordan made all those connections. Um, mm-hmm. We get Rand. Um, who says, you know, she's, says, she's talking to Shamil. She says that Shamil's get better in the dream world. And she says that, uh, he Rand the way he stacks up to his predecessor is that he is, um, what does she say about him? She says he's softer, Kinder, softer, yeah. takes no pride in his birthright and rejects his own power. Um, mm-hmm. there, uh, all those lines there. And I also say that like the, these two actors who play in a Shamil and, and, land fear they must like go out drinking at night together or something because they seem super <laughs> there's so much charisma between the two of them and like they, they work mm-hmm. off each other so fantastic I, ju- I just hope we get a lot yeah. more scenes with them i mean i think they're just really good actors like there's just no like i think that 
Um, no, they have to you know, be best friends in real life, BJ. They can't just be good actors. <laughs> that, they sell it pretty hard. But I, I think they, they, especially with these scenes, like you can see, like, um, I can't remember her name, but uh, Lanfear, the actress who plays Lanfear, was in Peaky Blinders. And like the, the gravitas that she brought towards the end of that, that she's bringing to Lanfear in these scenes. Yeah. I, I don't know about the actor that plays uh, Ishamo. Like, I don't know that I've seen Aaron him before, Spurs. but like he's, yeah. Um, yeah. Fantastic. It'd be, it'd be interesting to like hear a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, Cause uh, I wonder if like they got to spend more time together in lockdown. Cause like they were sort of paired together uh, at, whereas like Moraine was paired with the kids uh, and Lan. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we see some of that and, like, how better connected they are this season. Shamael wakes up and he's being called to Turok. And he, mm-hmm. you know, Turok's basically like, who the hell are you? And Shamael, you know, he he bristles a little bit at this, but he, he plays humble enough to get through the get through the conversation. And ultimately, Turok says he's happy with the horn. And he says, because you gave me the horn, you can ask anything of me. And he says, well, the High Lady Turok has a gift for you. I only ask that you receive it in good faith. Cut to Elaine and Nynaeve waking up. Uh, after they've been popped earlier um, by just some mm-hmm. random dude in the street. And this is Raima of the Yellow Aja, who mm-hmm. um, immediately is interesting. Like, two seconds in this character on the screen. I'm like, yep, want to know more about Raima the Yellow Aja. Because I want to know more about her specifically, the way she's being portrayed. And I want to know more about the Yellow Aja, period. So this is just, I'm glad it's been introduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a little bit with uh, Nynaeve with the um healer crimson thorn uh early on yeah um and uh that the the yellow azure are healers and i'm excited that they'll hopefully go more into yeah it. but this lady doesn't seem like a i just finished my studies yellow azure this seems like a yellow azure that's been around the block for a yeah, while exactly. so you're gonna actually learn what the right. yellow azure really are here um yep. then we cut to surak who's talking to um turok and um surak Suroth, Suroth, yep. who's talking to Turok, and in comes Egwene, and she says Egwene has more power than any of the Domani they've seen in a very long time. So then they collar her, and the collars suck. Don't like the collars. Yep, yep. Cut to King Rand. He's playing cards with the future king. Moraine's like, "Look, we're staying." And then um, she brings him into a bedroom and basically gives him the option to go to bed. She's like, "Look, I, I everything I told you." She's basically like this. Everything I told you before is true, but. You know, you have been around Lanfear for months and she hasn't it hurt you. Like if she wanted to hurt you, she could have hurt you. She didn't. So, yep. th- you know, she, she, Marine seems to be admitting to Rand. I don't know what to do here, but one option could be you go to sleep and feel out Lanfear and see how it is. And that's totally up to you. And she says, it's up to you. And I mean it this time. And I believed her. Yep. And she also gives a little bit of information, you know, that we as viewers have already sort of got but that Lanvir swore her oath to the dark to get Luz back. Yeah, I like that. I like all that backstory. Yeah. Um, and I, I so think, now we know that Rand has that backstory as well. She also says, Mar- um, she also says that Lanvir, Moraine confirms that all the stories say that Lanvir truly loved the Dragon Reborn and he loved her. Like, I feel like that's a really important part of that piece because she says, and that he loved her before he went to his wife, right? Like, this wasn't just like, obsessive i love this guy who has yeah. the time for me 
Luz did love her at one point. Yep. Yep. All right. So then then... Rand falls asleep, which he does really rapidly. I feel like I would have been, you know, even as exhausted. He's been up for like a couple days. I got a question for you. Yeah, but even as exhausted as he is, I feel like it might take a little bit of time. I got a question for you all. Brie first. Brie, when you're real tired, does your head, do you fall asleep when your head hits the pillow? I mean, generally, yeah. yeah. Because, <laughs> see, I don't. Like, I, even if I'm super tired, say, I don't know why, but I, I guess maybe I get, like, kind of wired in my sleep deprivation, and sometimes it takes me a while to actually decompress. Exactly. And that's where, like, what I was thinking about is, like, when I am anxious about something, and even if I've been up for two days, it still takes some time for my brain to stop going around and around in circles. Yeah. It's not when she lies down. It's when she stops moving that she'll fall asleep immediately. Like... Lying down in bed is, like, a completely different thing. But, yeah, no, I 100%, like, I don't know. I, I very rarely, like, will lie down and just, like, ah. No, it doesn't. So, doesn't, anyway, I'm kudos not. to Rand. Yeah, well, yep. you know what? I think he just want. He's the tiredest no, guy. he's not the tiredest guy. He really just wanted to see his girlfriend. He missed her, and he, he just wanted true. to see her. And uh, yep. so he does see her very quickly. She's got him tied up. Um, yeah. On a wheel, of all Insert, things all those jokes um and she got him tied up and then she's sitting on a throne and she just looks at him and says finally end of episode now i think yep. that like a lot of our audience and maybe they want you to think this think that Rand's in trouble here um i can tell you i mean we've watched ahead but i can i can honestly speak for where i was when i watched this episode i was convinced that he was going to be okay here i i felt like this was a good call from moraine to have him start working with Lanfear especially considering some of the vibes Lanfear was given to Shamayel in some of those earlier scenes. I felt like this was a good call by our heroes, but it remains to be seen. I, I agree. Uh, in, when I first saw this, I was, I was thinking that the beginning of the next episode might be a little bit more risque. Uh, it, it still was kind of risque. <laughs> oh, because she like, tied him up? I didn't, yeah. yeah. Uh, cause they've done some Break things them on the wheel. like that before. <laughs> uh, like the, so, like, we didn't know what she was doing with the power right before Moraine stabbed her. And I, I don't it was think about to get wild she was going to check. Yeah, right. pretty much. And so I, this kind of felt like, are they going to kind of pick up where they left off? Like, I maybe that's a trick. Yeah, I, I thought that was in play. But I, I didn't if I like I, I remember what I, what I thought was going to happen. I, I, I thought that she was going to start helping him in some way. I mean, I, I don't think like, I don't, yeah. I don't, Lanfear doesn't strike me as the type of person who goes, Hey, I'm just a ready-made soldier. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like that doesn't sound right. But like the idea right. that she would ally with him or help him in some way, or at least not like outright murder him was very much on the table for me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, all right. Do we want to go to like our best scene or best line of dialogue? Because um, yep. yeah, I, let's do it. I'm happy to, nominate one right away and that's the scene with uh Shamael and Lanfear uh, when they're in the Teleron Riod. I feel like that's just mm-hmm. just a fantastic scene and um like I said it just drips with so much backstory and lore and foreshadowing and hints and I I just got the impression they shot that they wrote and shot that scene very carefully. Yep. Yeah, that was a very I think strong scene and sets up really well a lot of the motivations and thought processes of those two characters. Um, uh, and I think that's nice, the first nice nomination. And is that the first time we learned that a Shamael might be slightly different than the rest of the Forsaken because he wants to break the wheel? Because he wants to end existence? 
Um, I thought we got, thought some, we of got some of that earlier in the end of season okay. one. Um, yeah. but although it might not have been clear that the other Forsaken do not follow that line of thinking. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, I think that Ashamel is different. I think is is a new thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna toss out a throwaway line that tickled me, and then um, my actual nomination. So the throwaway line that really tickled me was Lanfear, uh, just like realizing what Moraine's plans were in the beginning, and she just goes, "Bitch," and <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a Lanfear, like ah, you're making me work for this. Um, Oiling my plans. But, so my actual nomination for, for Lion, uh, just because it's uh, the weight that it has and and the humor here, uh, it, when Avienda turns to Perrin and, and says, Perrin Ibarra, do you like to dance? Oh, yeah, such a um, great That line. was really strong. And that could have been it, corny, but it wasn't. Yeah. Well, and she also has her black face covering up. Yes. That helps, um, I agree. And so, yeah, you get, like, a sense of something more is going on here, and we will find out more about this in the show. It's Absolutely, not... we will. So. Um, all right, mine is... Uh, there were a lot of, like, fun lines in here. Um, I do think something I really enjoyed was... And this sort of circles back to some of the stuff that you were talking about, Lee, with Lanfear's motivations, is when Lanfear early on is chasing down Random Moraine. She meets the lady that was managing the horses and, you know, asks, well, was was the young man, like, who was driving this? Whose idea was this? And the, the lady's like, well, the young man was sort of in a daze. It didn't seem to be him. And Lanfear sort of looks off in the distance and she's like, oh, he's still so young. I must remember that. Yeah, I like that too. I, mean, I wrote that And then down, just yeah. completely, you know, sews up that lady's lips and keeps on going but it's it's you know it 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 speaks to i think actually what you were talking about that she might actually be falling in love with rand as rand and not just as the reincarnation of Luz. yeah yeah because she um yeah because she's very concerned about an attribute of him like and 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 wanting to correct her own behavior right like i have to remember like i have to remember that like indicates to me that like she's like Come on, Lanfear, like, you know, tighten up when you're you're around him. Like remember this right. particular thing. Like he's not the same person. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think I don't know, I think I really I really enjoyed the Paranibara do like to dance line. I think that hopefully speaks to a lot more that we'll see with Thiel. So I think that one has to take it, but did really like the the Ishi and uh Lanfear. <laughs> Well, you got to keep the streak up of not picking mine. I mean, we're five weeks into this thing. You can't, you can't just break <laughs> just the streak now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I am. I'm fairly certain that Sarah was going to pick the Ashamayel scene too. Um, she, she. I watched this episode with her, it's and a strong she, one. she was really into the, his scenes. As you might might suspect, she finds that to be a really interesting character. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, I think we can do our one the week lost the week. Yep. I think it's kind of hard to say anybody but Egwene lost the week. Like who else could uh, like who else could possibly have had a worse week than her? Lady Suroth. I mean, she did get her fingernails cut off. Like that was pretty. It was rough. terrible. I mean, it is a big deal. Collarin. Like I know we're, we're, we're making light of it, but but it also is kind of a big. Deal. Sure, it's a big deal, and, and they portrayed it as a big deal. But yeah. I mean, come on, Egwene got collared. That's like about what she next level. Needs. Oh my gosh, BJ. Yes. 
Unbelievable. <laughs> so mean. What she knows. Uh, Coming out strong against the Sanchin. No, I, 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 it, 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 she is definitely the loser of the week. Uh, winner, I think, is a lot harder. I have a nomination. All right. Lanfear, because Rand came back to her. Okay. I, I like it. Uh, Lee, do you have a, a different nomination for, for winner? <laughs> I mean, you always have to go with Lanfear. So y'all know that I would always pick Lanfear because she's my favorite character, but... I don't know that I would pick her this episode because of the tension with her and Ashamayel. Um, I think that that... She did not get the best of that conversation. The only person that I am concerned punking my BFF Lanfear is Ashamayel. Like, he's the only person that they have illustrated to me might have a power level that would be a problem for her. And they did not seem yeah. to be on the same page at all. And it also seems like he can just sort of pop into Teleron Road and see her whenever, right? Like it, she can't necessarily get away from him. So that's scary right. for that character for me. I um, I would probably pick a Shamayo this episode because yeah. um, of how he was able to do what he, basically he's, there's a lot of political puppetry going on with the Shanshan and he seems to be doing exactly what he wants to do. Um, yeah. with, and nobody, nobody's putting up barriers at all. So uh, he seems to have, seemed to have had a great episode. Um, so the last person I'm gonna probably every time that she's on screen give an honorable mention to at least is Varen, because uh, <laughs> yeah. just great. she gets her little bird she, claws into everything. Like I, I assume at some point she will have an episode that doesn't seem like she's completely in control, but I she's don't know still in control when that's gonna happen. Uh, but I'm, I, I do have she's to in control to the end. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to end it to a Shamel. Like he, he just had everything go his way. Not quite everything. Except he didn't get all three girls or even two of the girls. It's a fair point. Uh, it's a fair point. He only got a Gwen. Yeah. But like, we don't see the reaction that he has to that. Yeah. I, I, I think that was not like, that's not the, like the big goal that he has here. And I don't know, but yeah, I mean that that could he could have had a ninety eight percent episode instead of a hundred percent episode. If uh, I mean, actually, also. I do think that was probably a major part of his plan because we have that whole discussion about what is Rand going to do when his friends are all turned to the dark, basically, and, or all taken away, as or support. taken away yeah. as support. And so he is putting things in place to get all of them to places where they can no longer be. Rand supporters. And yeah, so the fair. fact that one of them has gotten free is a bit of a detriment to his plans. Yeah. I, I think that Brie raises a good point. Ashamayel did not pitch a perfect game this episode. He had he had wins though. He had a lot of yeah, wins. Yeah. I, I still think he's a I think he, he had sure the most I still think he's a strong contender for winner of the episode. Yeah. I think also if we're if we're broadening it to sort of tertiary characters, I think Shiram had a really bad episode. Um yeah. so Oof. we could we could yeah. put her in, in loser of the episode too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just hard to give her... I feel like the, like she didn't have a downturn this episode. She just had a... I don't know what's going on. Uh, but And she is I mistress mean, of novices. the lady with yeah. the horses should get an honorable mention then, too. <laughs> that's, that's true. Well, we're never going to see her again. And it doesn't matter. I don't remember her name, even though I paused it I don't know twice that... Now. Did we get a, her yeah. name? Yeah, we did get her name. Cause I, no, I, I, I think it's just like... It, it has like random like... No, we got her name. I don't think she has a name. Okay. Anyway. That's good. Uh, well, anyway. we, we established that uh, head pop guy, eh, if you got to go, you know, may not be the yeah. worst that, way. That, that's, that's not a bad guy. Yeah, that'd be so Definitely bad. don't uh, love the sewing of the lips. 
that yeah. that seems I mean, pretty traumatic. I, I I like that we got nods to to two of my my favorite movies, The Matrix and Men in Black. Men in uh, Black, the so, goat of movies, says BJ. Yeah, the goat of movies. That the head explosion. We just didn't see a little head come in behind it. That would have been really creepy. That would. Have been yeah, really that's what, that is uh, what they were referencing. Obviously, Men in Black. Yeah, <laughs> it was obviously hundred percent to Men huh? in Black. <laughs> Oh, I like it. You know, they. Uh, I did hear that um, they have basically started up production of season three, or pre- they're like in pre-production. They're going to get rolling, and yep. they have given a relative time frame. They said that we can expect new episodes, Wheel of Time season three, at the start of 2025. So we got about maybe okay. 15 months, something like that. Um, 15, 16 months uh, to wait. Okay. Well, hopefully, the start of 2025 doesn't mean like mid 2025. Sometime in Q1. But, you know, I, I'm I excited, excited to have it. I'd bet February if I had to bet. But, like, yeah, I, it's going to be a while, right? These shows take a long time. I just wonder yeah. long term, like, I know there's 14 books. I know that they combined book two and three for season two. But, like, are we going to have this show till 2037? Like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> that seems kind How of wild. How fucking long so, are they gonna, is this thing going to run, like, in real time? Because if it takes two years to get right. a season out and there's 14 yeah. books, like, what? Well, well, they they have said that it it will likely be eight seasons. That sounds right, or at I, least that's the word on the street. Um, and I, even if it is more, I think that I hope that Amazon comes away from this eight episode season, eight hour like eight one hour episode season. Because I, I I think to your point, there's a lot of fat that in many ways can be cut out, like you know making. Lord of the Rings into three relatively long, but still three movies, I think was asking a lot and they did a good job. Um, Isolate And that. so the movies. Oh, the movies. I got you. Okay. Right. They took three, three, <laughs> three long boring, boring books and made them three, three, <laughs> three watchable <laughs> movies. <laughs> exactly. They were still long, but you know, they did a good job. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that they can cut out to streamline it, but I think that that you know doing hour long episodes is going to be tough. And I, I and again to your point, I think that yes, it takes a long time to produce, but but having this like a little over a year, it comes out at different times, so it's not like every year. At like last year, fall. last time it came out like Thanksgiving, I think, or something like that. Yeah, um, I vaguely remember. Yeah, it was around. It, it ended the first week of December. Right. Yeah. So, like, it'd be nice if they figured out some consistency. And I feel like this is this is a show that's getting enough watches that doing it dirty, like they did Firefly, or there are a couple of other shows that they you know kept changing a little bit of where it was, like what it was up against, what day it was on, and it's just not fair to the show. Yeah. So we'll we'll see what they end up doing. I mean, uh, but but yeah, I really don't know because. Uh, but hopefully, not another sixteen years. Yeah, I mean, I'll be here for the podcast. Uh, so I mean, it, if it's know. if it's eight seasons and we got six more, <clears throat> we've got twelve <laughs> more years. So it'll be twenty thirty five when this is over. Right. Well, it's a it's a year and it's fifteen months, as he yeah. said. So you know. All right. Well. Uh, I think that's it for my portion of the podcast. Enjoyed yep. it. Yeah. Uh, looking forward Thanks to the next Thanks for the great recap. Episode of next week. All right. We'll talk next week on episode six. Talk to you later.
All right, welcome back to the spoiler part. Uh, For episode five. Episode five, Demane, Demain. Demane. Demane, because... Because that's how the show is pronouncing it. It is. So it doesn't matter that you've had... An Adam and all those other things. A Dom. Uh, I feel like it would have been helpful to have listened to an audiobook uh, at some point for these, but I just never did. Um, But Uh, Yeah, I mean, I listened to the... I think I listened to the Eye of the World on audiobook. Not, not the it didn't one. Uh huh. <laughs> it did not. But also, by that time, I had also been, been heavily steeped in for, like your own pronunciations. And right. Stuff like Twenty that. years. Was and, it the Rosamund Pike one, or was no, it the? No, it was the uh, um, Catherine or whatever her name is. Yeah. And the the guy, I don't remember. Yeah, the the ones that Sanderson uses for everything. Correct. Too. Yep. But anyway, I mean, I really enjoyed it, but they absolutely did not change my pronunciation. Yeah. That's just how that goes. Um, so I guess for this episode, like, I, feel like I don't have a ton. Up. Yeah. You know, we're getting pretty, like, off the track in some ways. And there's not a lot where I'm like, ooh, this is a, a big change. They're certainly setting things up. I think one of the things that I did want to bring up is I feel like this episode in particular expanded the world for both the Sanchen and for the Aiel of demonstrating just how distinct those cultures are mm-hmm. from what we've seen so far. Yep. Um, and I guess I wanted to readdress what you were saying to Lee about Moraine sleeping with Rand. Uh, Cause she gets that in information from the arches yeah, that there is there there is a timeline slash world that she Where ends that up in bed with happened. Rand, and it goes poorly. It goes poor. Like that was a choice that she had made in one of those things, and it went poorly. Oh, that's it's much later because that's um, in the other rings. It's not the Twisted Arches. It's the uh, Wise One rings. Yeah, it's very like relatively late. Yeah, um, it's in like Fires of Heaven or something like that. Yeah. So, but like, I don't, I highly doubt that we're going to get those kind of specific things, like maybe, but I, I doubt they're going to pull from that. And it's sort of a without context, kind of a throwaway. So I was like, eh, I don't think this is a problem. Um, so this episode, I feel like we might've passed, uh, Waystone or whatever they are. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. When, um, so we'll. So Lanfear. Yeah, Lanfear's writing and we them. go past the stone and there's writing on it. I feel like that and we had one in season one. Yes. And so I feel like I maybe we'll get it in season three. I know we've watched the end of this, so that's the other thing. Like we're you not gonna cover spoilers stone? that what? I think you said a waystone. A portal stone. Portal stone, yeah. yeah. I did say a waystone. Um we're not gonna cover things that are spoiling, things that we know happen or don't happen in, in season two. But I hope they do flicker flicker because like I feel like that's that they have iconic. it in there. It's yeah. super iconic and it's so ripe for television. I want it in season one. I want it in season two. I'm going to want it we'll up until season it. eight. And I'm going to be disappointed when the series finishes and we never get it. Which is but probably what's going to happen. It probably is. And it, you know, it's probably just sort of a throwaway thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I, 
I am curious because, like you said, we have now seen those a couple of times. So, like, it is absolutely out there. Yeah. There is something in the world where there are stone markers with writing on them. And nobody comments on them. Nobody looks yeah, at them. Yeah, they're just there. They're just there. I mean, and the, the, the hard part is, like, I don't know if we're going to get... Lanfear and Rand wandering around, which was no, kind of like that. that's how she was introduced. So they're not doing it that way. And it was a Varen Rand pairing that had them with the the portal stones generally. Um, and it does matter later on that the portal stones are a thing. Yeah, but not a whole lot. And they like, probably can get away with it doing the the ways instead. Right. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like I, I just I doubt that they're going to be of use, but maybe they will do something different with them. Yeah. Um, I think you know, in reference to the Sanchen and their whole culture, there were a couple of things that I thought were interesting and or exciting. So, one of the things is so Turok's costume, which is quite elaborate. Um, but it has feathers on it that look like uh, raven feathers. And we do know that that is a very important aspect of the... Death Guard. Right. Which I don't think we're getting, but, like, it's very unclear. Like, we don't know if that's still something the Ogier do in the Empress's Palace. It doesn't seem to be. It doesn't seem to be, but, like, they might just not have... They might want to... They might introduce it later, because introducing the Death Watch Guard so early is a thread that you don't get payoff for four, three, four books. Right. And it's Ajinan and Daman, like, it, it's Master Doman. Yes. Like, Vail it's a whole Doman. thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when they're a thing, and it's a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, so the other thing that I found interesting is, like, in the books, they do a lot with the head shaving, and I feel like since a lot of these are wigs, they just don't want to deal with like having to do that. So the nails were a, like an easier version of of having that. Uh, um, but the I mean the nails are very prominent in the books as well, although they're usually they're just lacquered. Yes, lacquered as opposed to grown at like whatever this is supposed right. to be. Um, but like how much of the head is shaved and where it's shaved was like a big thing. And they don't seem to really be dealing. Like no, they really they're just going for. But like they seem to have heads. like <laughs> yes, interesting patterns in shaving, being part of the culture, which is appreciated. So, um, and I would say you know one thing that I'm a little bit surprised and I'm a little bit disappointed is the willingness with which the Sanchen nobility are willing to speak in public, as it were. Yeah, like, that's that was really enough, like, not a thing. Using, like, like, the voice They was... really should be using the voice. I mean, but, like, I think that... That Turok did was a little frustrating. Like, that Surat did, like, basically by the command of Turok was, like, there. Um, I I do think... I feel like she was referred to as High Lady Sarath, but maybe I'm, like, misremembering. Yeah, she might have. Um, but, like... She's clearly not the same level as him, which we know. Yeah. Like, otherwise, he should not have the power to cut off her fingernails. Right. But I guess my memory was, like, he came in to run the return, the right. Helene, no, and, he... and they were basically similar level, but, like, he was placed above her because he's 
came right. to run this because she did an iffy job. And anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think the reason that they don't always use their voice is partially so that we as the audience actually get to interact with them. Because if they're just sitting there twitching their fingernails yeah. and their voice is speaking for them, like, that's really not, not great TV. Right. Um, and it's also kind of unclear, like, how the voice knows, like, what's going on, what to say, and how much power they have. And I think without having those descriptions of the books, it's it's a fair way of doing stuff. Right. So. Um, yeah, the other thing with the Sanchin, and I think this is something that... They don't have Texan accents? They do not, which I'm <laughs> completely okay with. Um, yeah. But... Turok clearly knew how to open the horn. Yeah. Like, he looked at that box and was like, ah, yes, I know exactly what to do to get this thing to open. Right. And that was, to me, a bit surprising. Like, has that knowledge been handed down? Is that something where the horn has been in that box this entire time? And so, like, when the descendants or the ancestors, whatever, that went across the sea, like, they took that information with them. I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm curious if we're going to get that because we do see a very different way of opening the horn later. Yeah. Uh, I think we had that in the books, though. That they, the Shanshan knew, knew how, how to open it? Yeah. Oh, maybe. I don't Because Fane was, like, lusting after the dagger and, and Turok opens it. it. Right. And he tries to, like, grab the dagger and, and Turok was like, nobody touches any of this shit because it's only for the Empress to blow. Right. So I think that's from the books that they do know. So like, that might it is known how to open. been book accurate, yeah. Yeah, because, like, Fane couldn't open it and that was a big deal because he was mostly after the dagger. Right. Yeah, which it was interesting that they had Fane come in bearing the horn. Yeah. Like, I think it's keeping him as a through uh, okay. line of, like, right. a powerful dark friend. Right. Um, it's a little frustrating that he doesn't seem to be as intertwined with the dagger. Uh, but... Well, but we just haven't seen the dagger back again. Yeah. Like, we don't know where the dagger is. It's not with the horn. We've watched the rest of the season. We know where it is. Shush. Okay. We do not, at this time, <laughs> know where the dagger is. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing was the Aiel, um, that we get some discussion, maybe slightly inaccurate, but we get some discussion of... It's show accurate. <laughs> yes. Uh, some discussion of Jato, um, the Karakarn is mentioned for the first time. Yeah. Uh, the threefold land is discussed, that yep. it is a shaping ground, it's a, it's a place for testing them and yep. a, a and place this... for punishment for their sin mm-hmm. nobody remembers what the sin is because it was so long ago which hopefully is setting up for at some point we will meet the IEL wise ones yeah and they will be like ah but we do know we just didn't tell anybody else uh they sort of know they don't know the no but the um the chiefs know the chiefs know there we go yes that would that's going to be another thing that I hope we see like it's going to be like hard. hard I bet you they will keep that in because that that visual of whatever his name is, that wasn't fit to be chief clawing out his eyes is really iconic and very like 
Yeah, no, I'm talking about like Ren going like through the through the, the past. The past. Yeah. yeah. No, I I think that they will because that is I that's think a that, four minute that, moment. That and Flicker Flicker are like the two the two big like here are amazing like everybody like there are certain lines you know if I just willed it do you think your heart would stop but like that and Flicker Flicker I think are the two big ones and and that's where we would get to like understand what the sin is and a little bit more about the the aisle and i hope like yeah i hope we get that um yeah um but i mean yeah, I, I i i like otherwise i like how they they've introduced aiel i think that it'd been nice if it was gall it that is a little disappointing but i think gall has been scrapped yeah goodbye gall yep maybe bane and chad will uh Gaul's develop an interest in Perrin. Yeah, I mean, I guess. He uh, could have two women. Toots. The falcon and the... Oh, oh God. <laughs> I hope, I really hope that whole story is gone. I don't think it will be, but it would be nice if it's just gone. So, yep. Um, and I think that's really all I, I had to chat about for this episode. Anything that you can think of? Uh, no, I mean... That I, we're, we're I, there's so little that at least I picked up this episode that's really foreshadowing to like things later uh, and like you know interesting stuff in the books. So um, I think well we'll see what we get for the rest of the season and more stuff to talk about. But as always, mm-hmm. it's been fun. Till next time. Mm-hmm.